If you believe in your business for the long term, then growing slowly is just the way to go. Welcome to Honest Ecommerce, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer, and I believe running a direct-to-consumer brand does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. On this podcast, we interview founders and experts who are putting in the work and creating real results. I also share my own insights from running our top Shopify consultancy, Electric Eye. We cut the fluff in favor of facts to help you grow your e-commerce business. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honesty Commerce. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And today, I'm welcoming to the show Mike Feldstein. He is the founder of Jasper, where his background in cleaning up after natural disasters sparked the creation of an exceptional air purifier designed for high performance, but with the aesthetics that the D2C market demands. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to chat. So quickly, what, what are you guys selling at Jasper.co? At Jasper.co, we sell one product and one product only. Well, I guess kind of two. But the main product is uh, a, a fancy air purifier. The other product is the replacement filter that goes in the air purifier. But long story short, my background was in wildfire, flood, mold, toxic environment cleanup. So I would, when, when California was on fire or Houston would have a hurricane, I would go there, clean homes, build homes, and restore things after natural disasters. I got to see firsthand how bad air quality was after fires and in homes that have mold, which is almost every home. And I got to see the delta between the large commercial grade air purifiers we were using for toxic cleanup and the little stuff that you would find at Home Depot or Best Buy. And the way I like to explain it is uh, the residential stuff is like golf carts. The commercial industrial stuff is like tractor trailers or pickup trucks. And the market needed a, an SUV. And that's kind of where we came in, something that has some of the features and the storage and the size and the performance that you would want from a truck, but with the luxury and the conveniences of a more refined car. And that's kind of how we positioned ourselves as a premium residential air purifier. Absolutely. Let's dive in there a bit more and talk about how you kind of ideated on seeing this gap in the market with with obviously your concept there of, of using the analogy of a golf cart versus like a, a truck and needing to get something in the middle. Um, where did you realize that there was an opportunity here? 2000 and well, two, 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 um, moments. One was in 2014. I had, uh, adjacent to my disaster cleanup, I was also doing air quality consulting. So this could be a company has a bunch of sick employees and they're like, what's going on? Why is everybody getting sick on the Southwest corner of the building? So we would go in there like the air quality detectives and figure out what was making people sick. And then we would also do the same thing for homeowners. So if somebody was getting chronic, like chronically sick at home, didn't know why, goes on a vacation, feels great, goes camping, goes hiking, feels awesome, comes home, gets sick again. They're like, wait a second, is my home making me sick? We would be like the, the family doctor for your home. So we would find out what's lurking in the home that's making people sick. So we would try, then we would create a plan to give people like a, a strategy to improve their indoor environments. And there was a lot of good stuff out there and a lot of lifestyle decisions they could make. But one of the big issues was there wasn't really a good effective air purifier for the modern needs of the consumer or the modern needs of a family, really. And then part two was the Fort McMurray wildfire, which is in Northern Alberta. And this was the biggest wildfire in Canadian history. We, um, 
5,000, uh, almost 5,000 homes were burnt, thousands of cars, very toxic chemical fire. The city was evacuated for a month. And I got to see firsthand the pediatricians, the pulmonologists, which is lung doctors, everybody was slammed. People were super sick. Basically, everyone with respiratory issues had their symptoms exasperated. Asthma, allergies, autoimmune, cancer, like everybody who was sick got more sick. And everybody who felt fine felt a little bit sick. And I got to, we were testing the air in all of these environments. So we got to actually see what people were breathing. And it, it really dawned on me how much air quality was impacting people's health and how blind or nose blind to it people were from the symptoms that they were dealing with. And because we, we our commercial air cleaners were like photocopiers or subwoofers, effective, but super loud. It's like, think about a Sonos or, you know, the home pods, they kind of are like this new in between, but like giant subwoofer, giant um, commercial grade audio equipment, very effective, but like large and loud and ugly. You're not probably going to put those in your sub in your like living room. Um, so we kind of, you know, the middle market emerged for premium consumer grade products. So See, like being out there in Alberta, seeing how impacted people were from the smoke and then learning about West Coast. So California, all the way to British Columbia, how many, like 60 days per year, there's air quality advisories from smoke and they tell people to stay inside because of the pollution or the smoke. And I got to see that when they're saying stay inside, inside air wasn't that much cleaner than the outside air. So the analogy I like to use is if you go to a campfire, you don't notice that you stink like campfire until you go inside or until you take a shower. You don't smell the smoke when you're in the smoke. So with a wildfire, you don't realize how contaminated your house is because outside is worse. So I got to, you know, quantifiably learn this through firsthand experience and, and all of our gadgets. And then I got to, we tested the, the Dysons and the molecules and the Honeywells and all the consumer grade products in people's homes. And it was kind of like, using a kettle to heat a bathtub. So like the kettle heats water, but not on the scale of a bathtub. And Jasper is designed to be able to, to handle the modern day needs, whether it's allergens, pollution, cooking particles, people who own, who have pets. So we, we originally launched at like the $2,000 price point, May, 2020, and we sold 99% to doctors and dentists in a COVID market. And we were not D to C for our first like two years, only January of 2023, did we flip on the e-commerce machine and realize, oh, whoa, people actually buy this thing without talking to us. This is much better. And that's forced us to now get better at explaining why is it worth what it is, how, you know, getting people to do, it's been really fun and refreshing for me to like solve a new problem. Cause I knew the product was great. We had a couple thousand in the world. We had only one or two returns. Nobody was returning them. They weren't breaking. I'm like, this is awesome. But now just jumping into the whole D to C world last year and, and, getting into like this whole new community and culture and trying to find ways to educate people and getting out of my own way and feeling like I, we had to talk to everybody and realizing that you could, you could scale communication and education. So it's been really fun now bringing this like commercial industrial grade product, making it pretty, but now learning how to sell things online has been a super fun journey. Awesome. Awesome. I feel there was a little bit of a, you know, how to, if you ever seen that funny Reddit meme of like how to draw an owl, it's like, do the eyes and then the beak and then now you have an owl. Uh, I feel like we skipped a few things in your journey there. So let's go back to you guys. You have this idea. You're going to build this product. How long does it take until you mm, have your first okay. prototype? What was that? What was that like? 
Okay, so that started early 2017 when I realized I love this disaster work, but um, it was very sad work and it was just, it wasn't the kind of thing I imagined myself doing my whole life. You know, leaving your family for six months at a time was great before we had kids. So I wanted to still help out in these disaster situations and be in the, in the, in the disaster restoration space, but not have to physically go there every time and subject myself to the environments. So I started actually trying to create a whole home air purifier, something that connects to the furnace. I dabbled at that for about a year till realizing that it wasn't as effective a solution. So it was weird because I was trying to create a product and I'm like trying and trying and trying and eventually realized like, this is just not the right solution. You actually do need something that's portable, that's separate from your furnace. So, but all things considered to answer your question, it took from the middle of 2017 till early 2020 to not just have a working prototype, but have like 50 units that, so we, you know, first you order, you design stuff, and you iterate, and then you you get one, and then you have to do safety stuff and electrical standards, and then you get ten, and then you you but get those ten out to the world. You make some more improvements, then you get fifty. So luckily, the manufacturer was able to like work with me. But it was about a three year journey to go from I have a vision in my head of what we need to create to we have a thing, and I was traveling for like seventy percent of that time. So I, it was one of those things where like working a hundred a hundred miles an hour wouldn't get you there any faster. You would actually self-deprecate actually having the time. Sometimes you're just waiting for stuff. So it was, it was a really nice thing to do at this stage of my life. Cause I was able to, I'm not the one physically, you know, doing the tinkering. So I was able to provide a strategic direction, organize lab testing and validating things almost as if I was the consumer. And for a while there, I didn't even want to launch the company. I was, you know, I was still kind of feeling stressed. I was enjoying my travel before having kids. I made some good money doing wildfire stuff before, but I'm like, I really want this product just for myself and my family and my friends. So I got to the point where I'm like, let me just make 50 and I don't even really care to make it a company. And then COVID happened. A friend of mine sends me a Facebook message and he goes, his name's Jason Tam, and he owns a bu- he owned a bunch of orthodontic clinics in Ontario. And he's like, "Dude, you have to launch today." I'm like, "What do you mean?" He goes, "They just mandated every dentist in Ontario needs an air purifier in every single room." I was like, "Whoa!" So we launched, and I just like put good Google ads for the word HEPA air purifier, and in like one minute, a sale came through for like. 1975. That's how much we launched uh, at our list price because the other medical grade products were like two, three, four thousand dollars plus, and they were hideous. They were effective, but they were loud and ugly. And the modern day dentist and doctor's office and school and gym, they wanted something that made their patients feel safe, looked pretty. So because we created this product for the wildfire conscious an affected consumer, we over-engineered it residentially, which made us the perfect position for B2B during COVID. So we ended up launching, we did about a million in sales in our first week, which sounds good. But the other part of that story is if we had 10 million of inventory, we would have, would have sold 10. It was like kind of like the fires in the flood. It was unlimited demand for a finite period of time. And then the, the, de- the number one feedback we got was, can you give us more signage for our lobby, for our waiting room to, to educate our patients on why we're the cleanest, healthiest, safest dentist in town? And then in doing that, patients started to inquire about the product, product and we split tested it. We tried a $1,000 price point and a $2,000 price point. 
and we couldn't sell anything at a thousand dollars, like nothing crickets at 2000. We were selling great. And I learned there that the medical audience expected a medical price to substantiate the quality. And when we were not charging enough, we had no respect from our consumers. So that was a really powerful lesson for us in pricing. Oh yeah. I remember you telling me that when uh, we did the pre-interview and I was like, I'm definitely going to ask about that again during this. Obviously it came up organically. Now, Obviously, uh, the pandemic and the sales bump that came along with it, and obviously you working on this product and like and and having this thing ready to go is you know potentially a once in a lifetime lightning strike you know act of God moment. There's no way anyone can plan for that. So let's talk about how you had to almost shift the business and pivot now to direct consumer. Yeah. Um, the demand isn't necessarily still there uh, that ori- that originally built a business. Totally true. So thankfully, we didn't plant our flag like many other brands and call ourselves the COVID virus infection brand. I didn't go there because that wasn't why we created the company. We created it for wildfire smoke and and homeowners and families and consumers. So the vision, we always knew the problem we wanted to solve. So it was almost like that was just an unexpected profitable detour. And the nice thing that happened was that gave us thousands um, of testimonials from doctors and dentists who are the most difficult people to convert. And they started buying it for their homes. So them talking to their patients about it, then the patient who has the kid with asthma or bad allergies or cancer, like really sick people or people who just really wanted to clean air, they're like, hey, do these guys sell these for the home? The dentist is like, I don't see why not. Give them a show. So we started to get inbound from from people who are like, I want this for my for my baby's room. I want this because we cook a lot. I want this for our fire. Um, we have molds. So it, it the trickle started in what I call, like, I guess it is called B2B to C. B2B to C has been a huge thing for us. So it's like, we don't want businesses for the, the sake of having the business clients, but when the consumers see them in the businesses. So even to this day, like over 10% of all of our um, customers come in, we get that no commerce survey are from dentists. Like dentists are actively a fantastic source of business for us. And all those other COVID businesses are like, it's like, instead of running Facebook ads, like we have like, we have like, Real, we have real physical units in the wild. And because the units have like the green light and the air quality score right on the top, people are able to like see it, ask what that means. And it kind of is, is designed as an educational tool as much as an air cleaning product. So to this day, we've tested a very few Facebook ads. Most of our businesses come from people bought them. And then we're like, happen to be like affiliates and influencers or doctors. And they're like, Hey, how can I share this with my audience? Can I get a code? And then they did. So I think every one of our affiliates to date was a customer first. And then either I saw them tag us on a post. I'm like, Whoa, you make really great videos. I could not have said that better myself. Do you want to collaborate? You bought the thing. You obviously like it enough to share it. So the shift was like this really slow organic thing, but. It was very painful, especially for the team at the time, because I'm like, B2B, B2C, build this website, scratch it. You know, the grass was greener on the other side. So finding our market and finding our audience was a two-year journey. Now it's been like a year and a bit of just... What what made it obvious is when you get the emails from a business, first of all, you don't. When you get the review, it's like, 
my patients and staff felt safer because the Chasper was there and my customers loved it. And in the home, it's like my daughter used to sniffle through the night when the dog was in a room. She doesn't sniffle anymore. The asthma attacks aren't happening anymore. So it was like, forget lab data. These were like visceral life changing results. My someone with an aura ring whose sleep score was 61. Now it was a 91 because now they weren't breathing mold and pollen at night. So it was very slow and organic, uh, but I would say most of the growth has come from podcasts and not podcasts I've done, but other health and wellness people being on podcasts talking about it, which is why I'm more excited about doing podcasts now because it provides enough airtime to actually thoughtfully discuss a concept as opposed to like a cute little ad. I, I just really didn't want to jump onto the Facebook um, Google ads thing. I think that's a really good tool. I love retargeting, but I think that there's just a lot more creative ways to build a business. If you formulate true relationships with people online and offline in your community. So I live in Austin, Texas now. And the main market I'm like, I focus on is one mile radius of my house. Like, and then like the 10 mile radius, I'm like, get strong in Austin, then we'll get strong in Texas and then we'll branch out. So even though we sell online, I think about selling online has like, I don't consider us an e-commerce D2C brand. I consider us a company that leverages the technology and tools that is Shopify and e-commerce and th third party fulfillment. What beautiful ways to have a employee light scalable business, but like, by no means are we limited to not having like real life relationships and real like units in the wild. So it's been, it's been slow and steady. We're not steady, but. <laughs> Absolutely. You mentioned that your uh, trajectory now with uh, is kind of how your funnel breaks down is you don't do any paid advertising at the top of the funnel. You're doing a lot of affiliate deals with influencers to drive more qualified organic traffic in. And then you're kind of doing remarketing through the paid stuff uh, and obviously email and SMS. No, email, no SMS right now. I just wanted to get really good at email first. So what's actually working good is we have a little simple quiz on our website. We've tested calling it the air quality quiz, the air quality report, how many do I need? And then basically they, they raise their hand and say if their biggest problem is allergies, sleep, pets, mold, cooking, they, they, they we have a bunch of questions. And then based on those things, I'm able to hit them with an email series that educates them about their specific problem. Because once I understand their biggest problem, I can explain to them why it's a no-brainer and explain what our guarantee is and make them an offer and all that. So we don't do a lot of like discounting and educating. We do a little bit on the website, but the back end is all every email I write myself and they're all personal emails. I found that personal emails massively outconvert all these fancy designed emails. So the way I write them is I literally would not go on Clivia. I'd be on my Gmail and I would write one person an email. I'd be like, hmm, that felt like a good email. Like, let's put that in Clavio now and use that for everybody. Like that was a situation that applies often. So it's like literally my words to one customer. And I love to use automation to scale your truth. Not like you get this weird brain when you're like, let me write this email campaign. All of a sudden you have like a weird voice and a weird style. So um, that's been... Very big. The email has been very steady. You know, we're not a, unless there's wildfire smoke and then we're an impulse purchase, um, we're, we're a very considered purchase. They research it, they look at lots of competitors, they ask lots of questions. And believe it or not, I did all of our customer service for the, like, I'm just getting off of it now because the product works so good, it doesn't really break. And if, if it does ever break, we just send people a new one. We ship a new one, they take the new one out, 
They put the old one in. We prepay to ship it back. And by having a ridiculously good policy that's fair, we don't need a big customer service department to say no politely. We just give people the unit. So I love, I, I love having a subscription based model because it's not just a transactional relationship. These are going to be our customers for decades. So we, we treat them as such and we're able to have incredible service and policies because we intend to have this long-term journey. So it really allows us to do stuff that if we were in a transactional business, we wouldn't be able to do. Absolutely. Yeah. And we definitely didn't highlight that. Uh, one of the powers of your business is obviously that subscription tail end. Obviously, there's the upfront cost of the unit, but then you've got the subscription on the filters, uh, which from a clearly capitalistic point of view is like an awesome way to build a business. It's the best. And I love... Um, most of your audience is like e-com founders. Is that correct? Yes. So this was awesome because I'm sure a good percentage of them have a subscription model. So for the longest time, we had charge B for subscriptions. And that's because Recharge used to not do multi-currency until Recharge 2 came out. So it was horrible because we used charge B for multi-currency, but... We couldn't have that as a part of our Shopify checkout. So like we were literally not even focusing on getting subscribers for the first couple of years. I was just innovating the product to get the product really, really, really good. So people think we're on our second version. We're actually on our fifth version because whenever a unit would break, I would like take it apart, figure out why it didn't work, make the manufacturer change their process so it never happens again and make our third party inspectors inspect the goods to look for this issue. So like, like our money has to be where our mouth is to make great products or it's going to cost us a lot, not our customer. And I think if you make a product and you sell it, your, 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 your warranty should match your life expectancy. So if I said the product should last 10, 20 years, the warranty should be at least as long as the life expectancy of the product. I hate when you get like a product with a one year warranty. It's like, does the company think this is only going to last one year? So I think warranties are one of the like honest, legit warranties are one of the biggest differentiators in business. But for going back to the subscription stuff, we, we use Loop for subscriptions, which I, I love the company and I love the team. And they've been so helpful. And we, we put the subscription button on the website like, I don't know, f five months ago. Instantly, when people would check out to buy the purifier, 30 to 35% of the people were subscribing. Ran that for about a month. Then we changed it. So the default like radio button was in the um, subscription option instead of the one-time purchase option. And that instantly jumped. We jumped from 30 to 35% to 60 to 65%. And my whole projection on the business was I always had a dream of 70% filter club subscription rate. Here's the craziest thing. Six months is the appropriate cadence, but some businesses and medical offices would do three and four months. Some snowbirds who would only use the, the, the unit seasonally would do 12 months. I got rid of every option and I just put it to six months. That's, that's the right cadence for 99% of people. When we went to six months only and we removed the options, we've been sitting at a 95% subscription rate. So that was what I needed to be true before now it's time to, to scale and actively promote and build relationships and build out our affiliate program because we offer no discounts for people who subscribe, but you get the lifetime warranty if you're part of the filter club and you save $100 per filter. So if you just buy your filters one at a time, it's $299. If you buy them one at a time, sorry, if you subscribe, it's $199. But making the default option subscribed with no options changed the business by 
tenfold in terms of the the value and the LTV of the customer because customers that don't subscribe don't have much value. And if they don't subscribe on day one or by month six, when it's time to change the filter, like you did something wrong. And that's a travesty. Someone invested like $1,300, $1,400 and they're not even going to continue to use that product. That'd be like buying a car and never doing an oil change or changing your brakes. Like that would be horrible. So I just thought, you know, this, I don't have enough broad experience, but I can share my experience here and removing the options has just been massive. So I would, I would really encourage people that have the traffic and are doing subscriptions to experiment with removing options to see how much that helps uh, increase conversions. No, that's a fantastic piece of advice. Uh, I was talking about this yesterday uh, with a prospect and it was kind of just this concept that uh, choice leads to analysis paralysis. And the easiest option is to not make a choice and just to, to walk away and not make the purchase. Um, where especially with subscription, I know that you can get really down a rabbit hole with your options with the cadence of the like you know three, six, or twelve, or one at a time, two at a time, three at a time. Now you you've got these exponential amount of options, and your first hurdle is selling your customer the product. That's the the hurdle shouldn't be them understanding what option they should pick. I totally agree because like they could either not purchase at all or they're like, you know what? There's no discount. I'm just going to buy the one time and I'll wait and see. And then good luck. You know, sometimes you could get them at six months because that's, you know, remind them it's time to change your filter. You can get them at a year. Hey, your warranty is about to expire, but it's not the way that the experience should go down. You know, when you go to Best Buy and you buy a TV, they sell you a warranty now. Now those warranties aren't usually that nice to deal with. They make you sit on hold. They make you ship your product in, take photos. We removed all that stuff. But but by not having the uh, option, like I also think there's some businesses that have subscriptions that it's worth it to test like like a supplement you know if you give a discount a heavy discount for someone to subscribe to a supplement they might not buy it all because they feel shitty that they have to pay a higher price to buy the one time or they're going to subscribe and then cancel whereas if you could just give them let get them to buy once if they like it you know anyone who gives you a five star review for example Hit like get them to subscribe at like day 25, day 26 if it's a monthly product, but just getting as many customers in the door on day one and then rolling out the subscription offer on the back end. Like, I think, like, I think being so intentional, any business that has a subscription model, I, I wouldn't even waste my time trying to scale unless I, I had my benchmark numbers that would equal success um, for your subscription stuff. And if you dial that in, now you just got this like. Like our churn rate is less than 1%. Our refund rate is under 0.5%. Our warranty defect rate is under 3%. And now the filter subscription rate is over 95%. You're like, whoa, it's time to scale, guys. We did, we did this, we did the hard work for three years and now it's time to go. If we scaled at a 30% for the filters, like we'd go broke. We'd have to be, we'd have to be raising money. Instead of raising our money, we can grow slowly or organically and like, I would w rather double and triple for my first several years than have like a nine or 10 X year and try to maintain that velocity. And then you're making horrible decisions. And nowadays you see everybody two, three years, 25 million, 50 million. Sometimes that founder only has 10% equity and they're losing money. Like, 
And now they're trying to maintain this pace. And now the, the bad decisions you're making, it's like if you drive a golf cart and you make a bad decision, you bump up the golf cart. And if you're driving a Ferrari and you make a bad decision or a motorcycle, you turn into dust. So I think, you know, learning how to drive a golf cart and then a, a reasonable sedan, you, you, you know, you want to move up and get a faster and faster car organically. If you have, if your first car is a Lambo or a Ferrari, you're likely to make a fatal mistake. So I actually think bringing, slowing, getting the best first thousand clients you can with the most deepest relationship, intimately understand them. Don't outsource your customer service so fast until you know what's going on. When somebody asks you the same thing twice, put it in your FAQ. Um, but like I'm a huge proponent of if you believe in your, if you believe in your business for the long term, then growing slowly is just the way to go. Awesome. Mike, I think that is the perfect note to end it on. Perfect. You man. talk so much about your passion about this product. If I'm interested in checking out your unit, where should I go? Uh, jasper.co, J A S P R.co. And I'm not sure how you, uh, if you like pre, if you record intros or outros later, but I'll create a special code for your audience after the podcast for anybody who may be interested. Awesome. We'll make sure to link, uh, that promo code down in the show notes. There you go. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on today. All right. Take care, man. We can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their knowledge and journey with us. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our own businesses. You can find all the links in the show notes. You can subscribe to the newsletter at honestycommerce.co to get each episode delivered right into your inbox. If you're enjoying this content, consider leaving a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. Lastly, if you're a store owner looking for an amazing partner to help you get your Shopify store to the next level, reach out to Electric Eye at electriceye.io slash connect. Until next time.